Okay, look right into the lens. Great. Now, this is your favorite podcast, and you will subscribe to The Cinema Crew with Village Cinemas. You really think a black suit is going to solve all your problems? No, but it's damn good on you. They protect the earth from the scum of the universe. We're talking Men in Black International. I made stories. Legends. The story of the man behind Middle Earth in Tolkien. Nobody wants to see a convicted criminal out there. Johnny Cash is a convicted criminal, you poor bag. And a mix of Scottish drama and country music in Wild Rose. That's this week on The Cinema Crew. Hello, welcome to The Cinema Crew, the podcast that talks new movies every week. My name is Michael Campbell, but you can call me Cambo, and I am not alone. Joining me, as always, is Vary McIntyre. Hello. And Dan Miranda. Hello. Now, your chance to win a Gold Class double pass coming up just a little later on, but first. We are a rumour. Recognisable only as deja vu and dismissed just as quickly. We are the best kept secret in the universe. I know. I want in. You erased my parents' memories, but you didn't get mine. It took me 20 years to find you. How many people can say that? I found you, which makes me perfect for this job. I loved Men in Black growing up. I used to have the film on VHS. I used to watch the animated series on Saturday mornings and I even had the action figures. So my curiosity was piqued when I heard that it was being rebooted with Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson in the leads. The first film managed to capture lightning in a bottle. Can this one do the same? Well, this one follows a new character um, called Molly and she has an alien encounter as a child and so spends her life tracking down the mysterious men in black because she wants to join them. She kind of muscles her way into a job. Her first job is to team up with Agent H, who is the best in the biz, and they have to take down a mole within the organisation. Um, Agent H is, of course, played by Chris Hemsworth and yes. uh, he does play... Uh, the role as you would expect Chris Hemsworth to play, you know, someone who's high in whatever industry he's in. He's, uh, you know, a ladies' man, you know, within the first 10 minutes of meeting his character, yeah. he's already in bed with his shirt <laughs> off, you know. You expect these tropes. But um, the the humour comes from the connection he has with the uh, character of Molly and how they bounce off one another. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, definitely. And Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson have that really good chemistry and something they carried over from Thor Ragnarok and mm. Avengers mm. Endgame. So obviously they were like, these two work really well together. Let's kind of utilize, like similar to like Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling. People yeah. know that they work well together. So they're going to keep putting them in movies again. And Chris Hemsworth is on this real comedy bent at the moment where he's realized he's not only handsome, but he's also funny. Yeah. <laughs> so he's like, cool, <laughs> I've, got it, I've got it all now. He does. Um, I do feel that he does have this... Uh, I don't even want to say it's an accent, but he doesn't do an American accent or an English accent or an Australian accent. He has this sort of I think, weird thing in the middle. I think it was meant to be English. I was think it it's just yeah, not he was a, trying. Yeah. I, I think it's just not a great English accent. Mm, okay. Yeah, it was not. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. I, Chris Hemsworth for me, and I mean, no disrespect, I really like him, but he falls into the category of charming and charismatic like a movie star, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's like the best actor in the world. A absolutely <laughs> agree with that entirely. So then how did you feel about the movie itself? We talked about Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth and their chemistry, but do you think that this movie fits within the iconography and the kind of, uh, I guess, legacy set from the other Men in Black movies? I think because it's set in the same world, it does have the Men in Black tropes that you expect. It's got aliens, it's got, you know, um, 
men in black. <laughs> but I think... And women. And women, as we'll discuss. But I, th- I think that this film, at times I felt like I wasn't sure if I was watching a men in black film. And that might be because of the fact that it is a reboot. It's like a new structure. We don't have the same familiar faces from the last three films. But, um, yeah, I had to keep reminding myself that it was a men in black film. What about you? I disagree. I really thought it was a Men in Black film. I mean, I only sort of remember the first one because I've watched that so many times. The second and the third films, I don't even remember what happens. (laughs) But I really loved the first one. And just the beginning credits where you hear that music, that Men in Black theme song, it just put me right in the mood straight away. And it's the same sort of looking office as well from the original films, they've got the same sort of aliens. So I really felt like it, it did feel like it. And I think they described this movie as more like a spin-off, like Jurassic World was to Jurassic Park. Yeah. And that's so, what it felt like. So you you were into it. You, you quite liked it yeah. as a, okay. I didn't yeah. like it. You didn't like it oh. at all? No. And that, it, it kind of like, I didn't. I didn't hate it. I'll say that. But I think I did myself a slight disservice because I rewatched the original one. Uh, just a couple of days before I, I watched this one. Uh, but the problem is it reminded me of all the things that this one uh, didn't have, uh, yeah. which, which I regret. And what I'm about to say, if this doesn't, like if, if what I'm about to say doesn't matter to you, then it won't matter to you and you'll like this one just mm. fine. But one of the things from the originals, uh, this guy called Rick Baker, and he's like a really famous Hollywood uh, makeup artist and creature designer. Uh, he worked on um, uh, like Star Wars and he worked on uh, Werewolf, uh, American Werewolf in London. He won an Academy Award for. And he designed all the original aliens in the first Men in Black. And they're so unique and so tactile and so well designed. But in this one, all the aliens were just a little bit generic, I thought. Like it didn't have that Rick Baker touch. And uh, there, there's little things like mm. that where I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, they've kind of done it, but just not quite. While I appreciate all the work that went into the CGI, I do feel that the element that's missing is that tactileness. Like, like the you, puppets. The puppets. That's that's the one thing that I really think should be coming back in this day and age with, you know, CGI and that type of thing. And I, I felt like you, you knew you were watching CGI. You knew you can't touch that. Whilst, like, you know, you see hairs, individual hairs and eyelids and all that stuff, it's very impressive. But um, it doesn't compare with, like, the first one. You remember that? that squid baby that Will Smith is holding and yeah. y- you know yeah. that he's actually holding it. Like, you know, that element is definitely not in this. Yeah, what was different about this one as well was all the technology. And obviously because we have advanced technology from the first film, which was like, what, 20 years ago? Something ridiculous. Yeah. So <laughs> a lot of the guns and it's like shooting lasers and the sound effects are different as well. So it's got a different feel to it in that way. And even they transport their cars and this like train that transforms into a super train and it gets them from New York to London in like 30 seconds. (laughs) That is all new. And I think that's what I liked about it as well, that it wasn't like the first one because we have had so many years in between that I would want to see something more updated. We've never faced a threat like the hive. They can take the form of anyone. I haven't seen that before. Even our own agents. Do we have a plan? You know, sometimes you have to trust your gut. We also, like, I've been comparing this a lot to the first Men in Black. We also need to consider that my nostalgia plays a big part into that. Absolutely. Like I said, I had it on the VHS. I used to watch the animated series. So there's always that aspect that maybe I'm just slightly more disconnected now. But there is a great 
I'm going to say like missed opportunity, which was back in, back in 2012, Sony Pictures, who released this movie, had a big email hack and a lot of their future movie plans were released. I recall. And one that they were considering was they were going to cross Men in Black with 21 Jump yes. Street. And they were going to have Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum join the Men in Black. And just knowing that that could have existed <laughs> makes me kind of sad because that would have been awesome. And I can even see that the tone of this movie is more kind of 21 Jump Street mm. than the original. The original was quite like satirical. Mm. It was kind of a comment on immigration because they were, they were working out of the hub in New York where a lot of immigrants come in and then the alien immigrants come in. Whereas this one is more the 21 Jump Street, almost kind of self-aware, uh, almost like a parody of the genre of Men in Black more than the original. Yeah. So it has kind of shifted gears in that way. Mm. And I, I think um, also the parody of Men in Black Originally, it was a parody of, like you say, all the immigration and even like sci-fi films as a whole. Yeah, I mean, like their office looks like it's from the 60s. Yeah. So it's like those Roswell kind of, uh, you know, the secret agents that came and took the aliens away from Roswell and, and mm. things like that. Like it plays into that kind of uh, like imagery that people have of secret shady government mm. agents from that time. And like the McCarthy era and things like that. But uh, yeah, I, I felt like this one... It, it didn't necessarily have anything to say, whereas the first one kind of did. I think they did say something in that having the, the main female character and maybe it wasn't so overt, but I don't think it's necessary because you don't need it to be like pushed in your face. Like we need strong female characters. Like, of course we do. You don't have to say it again. You just have a strong female character, mm. but they do have a couple of comments on that where Emma Thompson's character who appeared in MIB3 Agent O she's like the head of the uh, the she's the head of the British office so she's like bridging the gap between the films i guess she makes a comment that it's men in black but obviously it should be men and women in black but you know they're hung up on all the old school patriarchy yeah. but okay and i will say this is a rarity uh for a big hollywood film and something we've talked about a few times this does pass the bestial test which yes. is the, the test that's applied to see whether it has good female representation and almost immediately this film passed it very early on and i remember even taking a mental note being like good on them because that surprisingly very rarely happens in a movie so big as this and the bestial test for people that maybe haven't listened to the old episodes. In fact, Vari, do you want to take us through there? There's three questions in the bestial test. And if a movie passes it, it passes the bestial test. Yeah. So the points are that if there are female characters who are named, can speak to each other about something other than a man. Yes. So, and and yeah. we, it seems simple, mm. but a shocking mm -hmm. amount of movies do not pass <laughs> right? it. Right. And I, th I think that it should be kind of applauded that it does it and it does it kind of nonchalantly and does it so early in the movie and that's a really yeah. good thing as well. It's open! It's about journeys. The journeys we take to prove ourselves. It's about adventures. We should form a club, a brotherhood. We change the world through the power of art. Music, poetry. And what about Tolkien? I want to write something. It's about magic beyond anything anyone has ever felt before. J.R.R. Tolkien is most famous for his Middle-earth adventures, The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. But the man himself was no slouch, fighting in world wars and inventing languages. This new biopic tries to prove that there is more to the man than just hobbits. But Dan, is there? There may be. <laughs> um, this film does focus on the early life of J.R.R. Tolkien. 
Tolkien, I think they pronounce in the film, and it uh, focuses on his early life from being an orphan at quite a young age, um, having to go to boarding school, and then eventually through being an outcast almost because he comes from an underprivileged family, having to, you know, be up against all these, you know, well-to-do students and their families, and out of that he creates a little club for himself. And it's really the chronicles of his early life and all the the turmoil he endured to help inspire the stories which we know as The Lord of the Rings. Yeah, it really focuses on his early life and I really would have liked to see more of the later life. So I guess that's just their choice to, to focus on the first half of his life and what inspired him to write the Middle-earth novels. Um, and you don't get to see a lot of the writing of the books, but it's more like this is his life and you can kind of see aspects of it that inspired him, the characters and what he endured, especially during World War One. And there's magical realism in it a little bit, like his imagination plays out in front of him and, and you see these things appear in front of him like he's on the battlefield of war, World War One, and it's all smoke and ash everywhere and it sort of turns into a dragon or, or a knight on a horse or something like that. So you can see these aspects of Lord of the Rings in there, which was really cool, but in a very naturalistic way. See, I kind of wish they had have either lent more into it or just yeah. not done it at all. Yeah, Because it, it happens every now and then. And you're like, oh, that is a really interesting idea to see his inspiration kind of coming to life. But it's kind of... Not really uh, like stuck to, I guess. It comes up every now and then and it kind of does it. But I think you either, like uh, Rocketman did, it really kind of yeah. lent into this magic realism of Elton John mm. and this kind of like weird fantasy life that he leads or just do it completely straight. And this kind of reminded me of a movie we talked about a long time ago called uh, Mary Shelley, in which it is a biopic of the early life of a famous author. Uh, but it's trying to show you something that maybe you didn't know about them but unlike Mary Shelley, I would say J.R.R. Tolkien had a much more straightforward upbringing and they're trying to pull some drama out of it. But, I mean, he was a very well-to-do man and he went to a good college and he did fight in a world war. Obviously, you mm -hmm. know, that is going to be drama on any level. But I don't know if there's enough conflict within him to really, like, stretch it out into a whole narrative. So I think you're right, Vari. The later part would have been maybe more interesting seeing how... One, how he created this world, and two, how that world being so big affected him as a person. He's probably the greatest philologist, certainly of the Gothic language. He might have even been flattered. Well, of course he was flattered. Nobody's taken that book out of the library in 1,500 years. Well, actually, <laughs> I had it out last week. Oh, how did you find it? Uh, no, I don't want to spoil it for toddlers. Well, he won't finish it. He doesn't even know who wrote it. <laughs> Please, we all just shut up. It's not funny. Listen, Tolkien, you absolute clown. I mean, this is your chance. Can't you see? Your gothic professor is encouraging you to defect. What are you talking about? He's enticing you into his class. Sorry, sorry, sorry. He's right. Yeah, but I can't just breeze into the philology department. Why not? Because I don't have a scholarship for a start. So are you telling me that the philology department don't give out scholarships? <laughs> yeah, for someone who happens to be a genius with languages. <laughs> Moron. <laughs> People who are fans of the books and the films of Lord of the Rings will be intrigued by it, but I don't know if it'll it'll really appeal to them because it doesn't have a lot of that magic that we know from those, those stories. Um, it, it does focus heavily on the inspiration from either his mother who passes away early or his professors and how many of uh, the themes and analogies they give him um, really 
highlight his imagination. Yeah, and focuses on his love life as well a lot and his relationship with uh, the character played by Lily Collins who grows up in the house that he's raised in as an orphan with his little brother. She's also living there and they grow up together and they end up falling in love. And that kind of reminded me of that movie Testament of Youth. If you know, that's another war movie, British, uh, about an author as well. And whereas it doesn't focus on the books, it just focuses on relationships and it's more like a romance than Mm. you would expect. And okay, so let's focus on the aspects that do really work. Uh, You mentioned Lily Collins and I thought she was good. I also think that Mm. uh, J.R.R. Tolkien as played by Nicholas Nicholas Holt. Holt. Yep. I yeah. think he's he's quite good as well. He, like he's very charming and very uh, you know, naturalistic, and y- y- he does seem like a man that is quite intelligent and holds himself like that. And the the bits of the movie that came alive the most for me is when he is discussing language and his love for language. So there's scenes between him and his teacher, or there's a great scene between him and Lily Collins uh, in a restaurant in which um, she says she gives him the word salador, and he needs to make a story out of it and stuff like that. I think is where the film really comes alive. But unfortunately, it's kind of only sprinkled every now and then. And like I said, uh, let's take a biopic like The Social Network, for example. It really focuses on one aspect of Mark Zuckerberg's personality, which is his kind of obsession and how it, it was all, kind of ultimately his downfall and things like that. You could have, I think, made a movie about Tolkien that did something similar mm. where you focus on one aspect and maybe it is his obsession with language and his need to invent and whatnot and and how that affected him as a person and that is the strongest part but i just wish there was more of it and that's the thing there are moments in this movie that are really inspired and quite quite interesting and quite cool it just it feels like the the whole the movie as a whole doesn't quite land in that way but there are moments where you're like there is something really interesting and cool here I just wish that something else was kind of pulled out of it a little more. Yeah, and I feel like the the, the ultimate goal of this film is to showcase uh, how a group of seemingly very different people can come together and form friendships, which they actually call in the film a fellowship. So that is the biggest theme and message I got from, from this film. So this film is in limited release. We should say that. So make sure you check out where it is playing. But that being said, who do you think should see this film? Uh, I think anyone who has uh, suffered trauma through their lives in any respect, um, this the, the message of this film is that trauma can lead to inspiration and ways that you can overcome that. Um, and obviously, if you are a fan of the Tolkien books and films, see this with a grain of salt. Also still in cinemas, X-Men Dark Phoenix. Sophie Turner is Dark Phoenix in this next instalment of the X-Men franchise. And Rocketman. Elton John's musical biopic told through fantasy. Yes, you can hear about all of those movies and in fact everything that's playing in cinemas right now in our back catalogue which you can access from whichever podcast app you would like. Your Lordship, Miss Harlan has put her childish ways behind her. Her children are living with her once again. Do you miss me? She is a promising young country singer. I'm trying to get to Nashville. Well, you better mind your tad doesn't go off when you're going through security. Jesse Buckley has managed to make the transition from reality TV runner-up to fully-fledged actress. A leap that not many can take. And now, after it hit the festival circuits, Wild Rose is earning her some serious praise as well. The story of a Scottish woman whose dream is to become a country singer sounds like a really odd match. Vari, do you think they pulled it off? Yeah, they really did. I was very surprised when, yes, I heard those words together as well. Glaswegian... (laughs) 
um, country singer. Um, so this follows the story of Rose and she's just out of prison and she's obsessed with getting out of the Glasgow poverty trap and making it big in Nashville as a country singer. Not even having two kids will stop her. So <laughs> she's a pretty unlikable character to begin with. They set up this pretty brash, loud, obnoxious woman who sort of just ignores her children and leaves them to the grandmother to take care of. And she's just one track mind. She wants to be a singer. She gets a job as a cleaning lady. And that um, the lady of the house, who was pretty wealthy, kind of takes a shine to her and helps her in her career as well. I adored this film. Honestly, yeah. I really adored it. So just given that we watch so many films, I use an app called Letterboxd and I track all the movies I watch all year, right? And I just, for my own sake, I give them little ratings mm -hmm. whenever I log them because I just like to look back and see you know, what I've watched and what I think of it. And currently this movie has the highest rating I've given all year on my oh, little what? Letterboxd app. I loved it so much. And you're right, Vari. She's a bright, she's a brash character. She shouldn't be likable. She does some things that you're very questionable, like morally and things <laughs> like that. But she's also so relatable and feels so real and is so well played by Jesse Buckley that you root for her anyway. And I think that that is a really hard thing to do. And uh, Jesse Buckley in particular should get a lot of credit for taking a character that shouldn't be likable and really making you root for her like you do. Mm. Well, is she is she the underdog in this film? She is, but by her own making almost. As well. In fact, I want to talk about the opening scene of the movie because I think it's great, in which uh, her, her character is being released from prison. And normally you've seen that in a million movies before, and this movie has a whole new slate on it, which is the most joyous thing to ever happen. It's got loud pumping music. She's dancing. She's singing through the thing. She can't wait to get out. And it so brilliantly shows, one, where she's coming from, the kind of character that she is, and her attitude and it sets up everything about her that you need to know going forward in a little opening credit montage like that. I loved it. I really loved this film. Mum, uh, Susanna's needing me in next week. No, she can't have you. Kids are on holiday. You do it out every week. I know, it, but... You said you'd take them away. Well, it, it's, no, uh, it's no cleaning. I'm, I'd be doing it's rehearsing. What is, I'm doing this gig at her house and she's invited all these people and I'm going to perform with my band. And then, then they're going to invest. Invest? Invest in what? In me? In my career? In getting to Nashville? Oh. You don't remember her investing in Mary when she was in agony with her hip? 18-month waiting list. If she'd money to spare, she could have forked out in that. She's forking it out. She gave me a chance to earn it. But it's got to be good. No pub band quality and we haven't any long to put it together. And I, I, I phoned the school to see about Holiday Club, but it's all full up. And even if it wasn't it, I'd rather they were with you, you know, because I don't want them thinking that I've just... What? Thinking what? You cast them off when you get a better offer? Or that all oh, this is for nothing because you've still got one foot out the door? And her journey is so realistic. In those films like A Star Is Born, they just get swept off their feet by a white knight and it's just, yeah. oh, someone sees their talent and gives them a Hollywood career. Like, that's not real. Come on, that right. doesn't happen. <laughs> and Rose has to go through this herself. She tries to make her opportunities. She saves up money to do these things. She gets her own gigs. Like, it's more real down to earth. And I, so I feel like this is a phrase that I've been saying a lot this episode. And it's coincidentally, they've all lined up this way, but a film with something to say. And this has a really interesting commentary on fame and the pursuit of fame and how it isn't 
kind of as it's depicted in the movies. She so badly wants to be a famous country singer and it's kind of tearing her life apart. Yeah. And there are so many reasons that you think that she should stop, but she is a woman obsessed with it to the point where like her relationship with her mother is so strained and barely hanging on by thread. But I love that it actually had something to say about that. It's like, mm. look, this dream isn't going to be exactly depicted. You've got two kids now. You're on probation yeah. now. You've got a tag around your leg that says you can't travel to Nashville. Things mm. like that. I love that it, it had a message. Yeah, as you mentioned, the relationship she has with her mother, who's played by Julie Walters, who's Mrs. Mm. Weasley in Harry Potter. So I instantly adored her. She's <laughs> a beautiful person. And, and she with her full really- Scottish accent, finally. Oh. <laughs> yes. Weirdly, also Jesse Buckley is Irish, putting on a Scottish accent. So again, this movie is in limited release, so do check out where it's playing. But who do you think should see this film? If you're fans of music films like A Star Is Born or even those more gritty ones like A Ring of Fire about Johnny Cash, you really enjoy this one. It's really fun. Or if you find it like I, I've been pouring a lot of love on this movie, if you find that your, your sensibilities tend to line up with mine, but you, you're thinking, oh, I, I don't know, that sounds like a weird mix. That's what I thought. So give it a go. Like actually just try it out because I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. <laughs> Now, for your chance to win a Gold Class Double Pass, simply head to the Village Cinemas Facebook or Instagram page, find the Cinema Group post and answer the question. If you were in the MIB headquarters, what kind of alien would you like to see or meet? Oh, mine would be E.T., I think. Well, just (laughs) leave your comment with the hashtag Cinema Crew and that could be yours. Next week, your childhood favourites won't stop. We have another Toy Story. Kevin Hart returns, lending his vocal talents alongside Tiffany Haddish in The Secret Life of Pets 2. And Chucky is back in the reboot of Child's Play. But until then, thank you, Vari. Bye. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. And we will see you next week on The Cinema Crew with Village Cinemas.